Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 179, Commercial Airlock. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. A new commercial airlock has been delivered and installed on the International Space Station. Now, this is not the airlock that you think of for spacewalks, the one where astronauts get into spacesuits and go out the hatch to work on the outside of the International Space Station. This airlock is commercial, which means it's a facility owned and operated by a company, and that facility has customers. It's called the NanoRacks Bishop Airlock. This airlock can deploy free-flying payloads such as CubeSats, and it can install externally mounted payloads. It can house small payloads for research and in-space manufacturing. It can jettison trash and recover external orbital replacement units, ORUs, or spare parts for the station, such as uh, pumps and other hardware. This commercial activity is enabled through some of NASA's recent efforts to commercialize low Earth orbit. So on this episode, we're bringing in Brock Howe, Bishop Airlock Program Manager at NanoRacks, to get into the details. Brock discusses the airlock's design, its capabilities, how it will work in orbit, and its future as a permanent commercial module of the International Space Station. So let's get right into it. The new commercial airlock on the International Space Station with Brock Howe. Enjoy. Brock Howe, thanks for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, I really want to dive right into this uh, commercial airlock, uh, getting to know uh, just what this thing is all about. I think um, when we think about airlocks, we think about uh, you know astronauts going outside, working on the outside of a spacecraft. This is a little different, so I want to get into the details. But uh, I want to start with the fact that we're just recording this maybe two days, yeah, two days after uh, CRS-21 docked to the International Space Station. This is the SpaceX cargo vehicle that brought Bishop up to station. Um, did you get to watch launch? It, it, you know, what were some of your feelings of, of that moment of actually seeing all this, all, all the hard work that you put into this airlock actually launching on top of a rocket? Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, it's kind of an awesome feeling. You've know, been working on the airlock for nearly five years now, so to be able to see her on orbit, successful delivery by the SpaceX Dragon uh, Falcon 9 rocket is really awesome. Um, uh, I did go down for the launch, and uh, we actually watched it from the beach. So, uh, you know, I have all the NASA badges. I could get really close if I wanted to to watch the launch. Uh, but we chose to watch it from the beach, and I'm kind of like, why did you watch it so far away? So one of the things that we did was a few of our people couldn't get badged, um, so some of our team members were there, and uh, we weren't able to do that. We weren't able to get them on site. And then we also had lots of family that came in uh, to watch the launch. So I kind of wanted to be there with the team. I kind of wanted to be there with the family and celebrate. Um, you know, not only the team members that put all their hard effort into it, but all the family and friends that supported us all along the way and dealt with the long hours that we had to deal with watching the launch. So, so we all gathered around kind of like in the tailgate fashion. So we had a TV down on the beach and uh, had a few drinks. And, uh, yeah, we watched it straight from the beach, and it was really awesome. It was really uh, um, uh, a sight to see. And, uh, you know, you talk about what's your feelings and emotions going into it. So, 
um, you know, we're riding uphill. We're a big payload in the in the rocket. So there's a lot of responsibility to make sure that the structure stays sound throughout the entire launch. So there's a, a certain amount of responsibility there. So no matter how good my team is and how much confidence I have in them, there's always that sense of, you know, what can go wrong? Did we tighten the bolts right? Did we do all the numbers correctly? Did we test the, the structure correctly? So there's certain responsibility there that we don't come apart and uh, and damage and destroy the rocket. So there's always that nervousness going uphill. And then when we first got uh, – First sight of uh, the airlock, I think it was about 12 minutes into the flight, we had uh, that dragon separation. Mm-hmm. We were able to view directly into the trunk. We saw our airlock there. And again, one piece, no loose parts floating around. No, uh, it wasn't sitting kind of cockeyed in, the, in there. But so everything looked super when she got on orbit. So she were, we were really stoked about that whole thing. It was really a great event. Celebrate with a little bit of champagne, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a, but it's still just the first step, a huge first step. But uh, still, just the first step. We got uh, activation coming up uh, uh, and installation on ISS here in about a week and a half, and really excited about that. But uh, for now, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that we're there and we're on orbit and we're. We're looking good. That's fantastic. And you got to do so with, with a lot of the folks that work so hard on it and share that experience, that whole emotion, right? The excitement of launch, the nerves of, of checking, making sure that everything was checked off, and then and then finally the, the relief of seeing your payload there. That's uh, what an incredible experience. Um, I want to dive right into this, Brock, and, and really understand what this is. We're ta- we, we've, we've mentioned it before. This is the payload that was in the unpressurized trunk of, uh, of Dragon. We've talked about it as a commercial airlock. What is it? What is the Nanorax Bishop <laughs> airlock? Yeah, so it's, as you mentioned, it is a commercial uh, uh, piece of hardware. It's, a, it's actually the very first permanent commercial module for the space station. Uh, it'll be completely owned and operated by Manorax. We'll get into the details of what that really means later on. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it will actually be the fourth airlock for the space station. So in general, an airlock is basically a doorway. So it's considered a, a doorway from the inside of the space station to the outer, to out to space and the environment around the space station. So if we back up a little bit, so being the fourth airlock, uh, the uh, the other three that are currently on board the station, um, two of them are for crew members. So there's a one on the uh, U.S. segment, one on the Russian segment. Uh, those two are for to allow the crew members to go out on their spacewalks, on their EVAs. And, uh, and so that's a personnel airlock. And then there's a cargo or experiment airlock that's over on the Japanese experiment module, Kibo. And... Um, uh, that that uh, airlock allows for hardware and equipment and experiments and payloads to be able to transition from inside the space, in, space station to the outside and vice versa, so they can bring them back in as well. Um, uh, the Nanorack Bishop airlock will actually be the fourth one, and it's a cargo and experiment payload airlock as well, uh, but it's about five times the size of the, of the one in the Japanese module. So it'll bring a lot bigger capability that um, – uh, that the ISS program and that experimenters have never been able to uh, have before. And so it's uh, just considered a much larger doorway to space, providing capabilities for those scientists and experimenters to be creative in ways that they've never been before. So uh, it'll be, um, you know, we talk a lot about the ISS and it's 20 years on orbit and it's a world-class uh, national laboratory in low earth orbit and it's really neat that uh, nanoracks would be able to play a part in that to expand those capabilities expand that uh, laboratory to even do bigger and better things than have ever been done before 
That's incredible. Now, now, when did that really start? This idea that saying, "Hey, this is this is something that we nanoracks can actually participate in. We can expand that, those capabilities. We want a bigger airlock." You know, when when did this start? Uh, this idea start generating? Yeah, so a little over five years ago, we came up with the idea, and it was literally a clean sheet of paper. You can talk about drawing things on napkins. It was literally something along those lines where we came up with the idea that, hey, we need a bigger airlock. Now, why do we need a bigger airlock? So uh, it actually is a really cool part of the commercialization of low Earth orbit. And we had customers that were coming to us uh, as NANORACs to be able to deploy payloads. So a lot of the work that NANORACs does is deploying satellites, uh, putting experiments on the outside of the space station, really trying to get uh, payloads to space. Uh, so one of those things, we are using that Japanese airlock that we talked about earlier uh, quite a bit. So we are using it several times a year. Uh, and um, uh, to give you a size perspective, that Japanese airlock can move a payload that's about the size of a microwave oven. Uh, so we had payloads that were going out that were about that size. Um, but then we had some payloads that were saying, hey, we, we're a little bigger than the microwave. We want to be able to go outside uh, as well. And we didn't have a way to do that. And so uh, we came up with the idea and said, why don't we just build our own airlock? Build it with a bigger than what we can do right now. And also have commercial control over opening that airlock. So away we went with the idea. Uh, and in general, the airlock can handle something about the size of a refrigerator. <laughs> so now there's a lot more capability as far as just pure size or also quantity. So we can send a lot more equipment out at one time for an airlock operation uh, than we've ever been able to do before. So, so Nanorack came up with the idea uh, about five years ago, and it took a while to convince people to be able to do that. We had to, uh, in particular, uh, NASA had to get on board with it. So it took a little while to convince them that we could uh, do this commercially, we could raise the money to make it happen, and then technically be able to make it happen as well. Uh, that we had, could uh, have the engineering team to design our, uh, the uh, facilities to uh, build and integrate and tester and the team together. So we had to build the team. We had to build the uh, our own capabilities to be able to tackle this project some five years ago. And uh, now here we are. So we'll go from a clean sheet of paper to uh, to a uh, airlock that's now all safely on board. The ISS is really pretty fascinating to us. And, uh, and it was some of that was, uh, was NASA embracing that commercial marketplace uh, and then having faith in us to be able to make this happen. So um, that's, where we're at. that's where the idea came from some five years ago and appreciate all the effort from all our partners as well as NASA in particular to make that happen. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a much larger effort, isn't it? It was, uh, it, you know, of course, working with NASA and making sure that, that everything's safe and, and good for, for this commercial airlock to go in orbit. But, but you had a couple commercial partners as well. Yeah, we sure did. So we had uh, several folks who were working on it to give you an idea. So uh, a few of those key members, of course, Nanoracks uh, did all the design work and all the analysis to support all of, uh, of that effort. Um, but when we started the airlock, we knew we were going to berth to uh, Node 3 port. Uh, so we needed a birthing mechanism. This is a similar birthing mechanism that's used on all the other ISS modules, uh, but we knew we needed to make one of those. So um, we, we contracted with Boeing, and Boeing provided that uh, uh, passive common birthing mechanism, and uh, the, the, which is currently on the airlock, and that will provide the sealing of the airlock to the uh, to the ISS as well as the bolts that uh, that made it to the uh, space station. So a critical piece of equipment uh, provided by our friends at Boeing. Um, and then we also needed somebody to actually build the hardware, uh, build all this stuff to our designs. Uh, so we actually partnered up with Talos Alenia. They're one of the world leaders in all the modules 
a lot of the modules on the station were built by them in uh, Torino, Italy, and so we partnered up with them. Uh, I had never actually worked with them before, so I was a little bit nervous about this, but uh, uh, but it turned out to be a fantastic relationship with them. They did a great job on our structures and building it all to our drawings. We put uh, several of our engineering team members, as well as myself, in their factory right on the, on the floor so we could work directly with their skilled technicians to make that thing happen. So uh, so they took a while, but uh, we were able to work through all that, and they did also uh, some of the pressure testing and some of the critical inspections on the airlock. So they performed. They kind of were the first ones to really bring the airlock to life, if you will. And then we had other uh, partners so for like Oceaneering. Uh, they provided some of the robotic interface devices, so the uh, airlock can host a lot of payloads, which is uh, makes it more than just a, a doorway. Uh, so we're able to host payloads on the airlock. So it's kind of, a, if you want to call it, an elaborate door, if you will. Um, <laughs> so, the, so this capability to uh, to host payloads is uh, provided by key components from Oceaneering. Um, uh, these external mounts are called uh, gold two fittings, gold for general oceaneering latching device. And uh, so we worked with them to make that happen. Uh, and then just overall structures and engineering, um, uh, we had all the structural and thermal analysis provided by a company called ATA Engineering. We actually got their some of their engineers to actually be in our facility, sitting right next door to our engineers who were designing their locks so we could have a smooth flow of information between the analyst and the um, uh, design engineers, and they did a great job. And then Craig Technologies came came in later as we were building up our avionics, and they supported uh, building up our uh, several of our cables and uh, some of the critical electrical components uh, to make all that happen. So yeah, it's kind of a team effort. And what's kind of cool is uh, you know, I got a lot of feedback from all those partners the day of launch because uh, they're all cheering us on. You know, all the way from. Um, uh, from Europe and in particular Torino and then all across the United States. We have partners all across the uh, country. And so lots of folks cheering us on. That made that uh, launch experience even extra special. I love how you you describe so many, you know, all of the contributions there that really, really puts into perspective the scope of just all the work that went into this this one thing, the uh, the Nanorex Bishop Airlock. And, and uh, you know, we're going to get into a lot of the capabilities here that make it, you know, more than, as you're saying, more than just a doorway, you know, all these different things that it, ha- it has uh, the ability to do. Now, that's a lot of different components, Brock. You talked about the uh, passive common berthing mechanism. You talk about the structures. You talk about the avionics. Uh, now, how about how did all the uh, testing and verification go? What were some of the things you were doing to make sure that this thing was ready to go into space? Okay. So, yeah. So, one of the first things we talked about a little bit when we built the structure, of course, we've got to make sure it's uh, sound to be able to handle the pressures uh, in space. So, the uh, ISS atmosphere at, uh, at 14.7 PSI, uh, we need to test the structure and make sure it can handle uh, uh, those kind of pressures and also the leaks uh, rates. So, you know, a lot of um, things going on, you know, critical items, critical safety items of uh, we don't want to have any leaks when we get on board. So, uh, Talos Alinea did a lot of that testing in their facilities um, uh, for us with uh, guidance from our engineering team. And uh, so a lot of leak testing was done early on the, on the vehicle. And then we get into the um, – to the avionics. So all the avionics is designed, built here at Nanoracks in our facility. So we bring the whole, uh, all that avionics together now, you know, uh, as with uh, anything um, space-related and ISS-related, we have a lot of environmental testing that goes on on that um, uh, uh, avionics from the thermal vacuum environment uh, tested into the um, vibration environment from launch. 
to just the interface requirements of electrical magnetic interference, uh, power quality, that kind of testing was, was all performed by the NANORACS engineers at various uh, uh, test sites around, uh, uh, around the local area here in Texas. Uh, and all this was all being done during with all these COVID restrictions. So that added a whole other element of uh, difficulty on the team to, to be able to do all this type of testing during this pandemic. And then we brought it all together, get the full vehicle together. Um, here we have a clean room here in our Nanorax facility, and we did a full vehicle level testing uh, here at our uh, here at our location um, in Nanorax. And then once we're completed here, then we shift her down to Florida. And we had a few weeks of uh, integrated testing uh, uh, there at the space station processing facility at KSC. And then we delivered over to, to uh, uh, SpaceX for installation in the trunk in the uh, mid-October timeframe. There you go. Wow. So, that, yeah, it was a lot of work all coming together and then, and then finally saying, fa- saying, uh, saying farewell. And then you mentioned uh, actually launching into space. Let's really get into the capabilities here. We've we've previewed a couple of them. You've talked about the deploying CubeSats. You've talked about the size of this thing, uh, five times the size of uh, the Japanese airlock. Uh, and you talked about hosting payloads. It does a couple more things. Some of the capabilities, Brock, that uh, the Nanorex uh, Bishop airlock can do. Okay, so yeah, uh, one of the bread and butter things for Nanorex is deploying satellites. Uh, we deployed, uh, I think, a little over 300 satellites to uh, low Earth orbit off of the space station to date. Uh, that's a bunch of CubeSats, and, uh, and also some small satellites as well. So if we're thinking, if you're familiar with the CubeSat form factor, I like to go back to the kind of the kitchen analogy of sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, CubeSats are typically on the size of a, a bread loaf of, of, uh, of hardware. Um, Right now, uh, when we're going through the Japanese airlock, all of our deployers, we can deploy about a maximum of what they call 48U. So a U is a 10-centimeter cube uh, volume. Uh, typically, they're like uh, three of those long, so they're about 30, 30 centimeters long by 10 by 10, um, which forms about the size of a loaf of bread. Um, so of those are the 48U. That's usually about 16 satellites. That's about as much as you can do uh, through the Japanese airlock. Now. When you throw that kind of capability at that five times the size that the Nanorax airlock can do, we, we've estimated we could deploy up to uh, 480U. So from 48 to 480U of CubeSat, that's a lot of CubeSat. <laughs> um, that's a lot of stuff you could put out in the space. Now, um, uh, we could do that, but that's uh, that would be a huge amount of experimenters all come together at one time to try to make a, a sortie. So um, there is ways to do that uh, um, and work that, but that just gives you an idea of the increased capability of the uh, of the of the Bishop Airlock. And you know, I can handle a, a very large satellites. Um, also, right now we deploy some small satellites. So these are on the say um, a microwave oven size payloads that we talked about. These are about 50 uh, to 100 kilograms uh, per satellite. We can do one of those at a time through the Japanese airlock. Now we can deploy a uh, uh, Bishop airlock about four of those at one time, or we can go up to one very large satellite that would go up to about 300 kilograms. So we're we're uh, moving in direction of a lot bigger capabilities than ever have ever been seen before as far as deploying satellites out to space. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's what we're looking at as far as payload deployments. We still deploy them very, very similar to how we do the through the Japanese airlock where we get, uh, get the deployer out, and we actually point the deployer uh, down and aft 45 degrees. This is to minimize 
the risk of recontact of those deployed satellites back with the ISS. So the um, the whole deployment is very controlled. Uh, uh, the IS, the space station program, has a, has a great jettison policy that we follow uh, to meet all the safety guidelines for deploying. Uh, payloads, and we're very uh, familiar with that. We've been doing this for a long time, so we will continue to do that very same uh, capability, but now just at a, at a much larger size. All right, and you can uh, you can also, I guess, well, let's get into kind of how that works, um, because I think uh, you, you mentioned it, it's going to be, it's going to go out and it's going to point down. Um, so in order for that to happen, uh, I'm trying to imagine, like, how would you describe the shape of the Nanorax Bishop Airlock? Maybe like a kind of like a jellyfish, maybe, or the top portion of a jellyfish. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah. too bad. Not too bad. We call it a, uh, a bell jar. Bell jar. That's structure. good. So, so it's a dome-shaped structure. If you've ever did any bell jar type little experiments, maybe in your physics class or chemistry classes back yeah. in back in the day. Um, yeah, so this thing's like a bell jar with a seal at the bottom, and the seal is the um, passive common birthing mechanism. So this is a very odd um, airlock, if you will. Most airlocks have an entry door and then a vestibule area and then an exit door. Uh, we don't have any of those doors. We don't have any vestibules. The whole airlock actually comes off of the stack. Mm. I call it the stack of the ISS. So each time we go out and do an airlock operation, the robotic arm pulls us off of the space station and then maneuvers us either to a payload deployment position or maybe to a parking position or somewhere else on the on the space station where we can then do the work and deploy and and um, maneuver payloads and those kind of things. So uh, the way it works and how, how the operation will flow will be the, um, uh, the crew members will uh, make entry into the airlock uh, through the hatch on the end of node three. Uh, they will install the payloads and equipment or deployers, and then they will retreat out of the airlock and back into node three. Then they close the hatch, and um, uh, before we're ready to uh, deploy, we've got to depressurize the airlock. So we depressurize the airlock just like you would any other airlock. You don't want to depressurize, of course, the entire ISS internal volume, so you depressurize just the airlock. And once it's depressed, then the uh, uh, space station robotic arm can grapple the airlock and then remove it off of the space station. Uh, and then we're free to go wherever we need to go. So we've designed the airlock with a lot of uh, flexibility so that uh, it can be maneuvered in a lot of different locations to support a lot of different uh, uh, capabilities. And we'll talk some more of those later. Uh, then once we go out, say we jettison, the, the, just like we talked about, we deploy in a certain orientation. And then once the deployment is complete, then we maneuver back to our home at node three. Um, they repressurize the airlock, do all the leak checks again, just like we would normally do to make sure we ensure crew safety. Uh, and then the crew would then be able to open the hatch, uh, transit back into the airlock. They've retrieved the leftover pieces, the kind of deployer mechanisms and all that, because some of that stuff's fairly high dollar. Uh, and then when they can return that hardware to the ground where we can refurbish it and then recycle it and send it back up again with even more satellites and more payloads and more customers. So we just keep repeating that process over and over and over again um, uh, as we use the airlock. There you go. Yeah, that's kind of it's it's kind of cool that the the whole thing comes off. You know, you just have this the hatch, the common birthing mechanism uh, hatch that separates uh, Bishop from from Node Three, and really you're just closing that and taking the whole thing off, pointing it wherever you need to go. 
Uh, I like that 45 degree angle aft is, is sort of towards the back of the station, pointing it down. Uh, so that's pretty cool that that has that ability. Um, and what, so you mentioned it deploys, uh, deploys uh, CubeSats. Um, you talked about the, the total volume. Now you've also said it can host, um, you know, much larger payloads. Um, I wonder if, if for, for CubeSats, is there a limit there or can you deploy much larger CubeSats now with the capability of Bishop? Oh, yeah, we can definitely deploy a lot larger capabilities, uh, a lot larger satellites than we've ever had been able to before. Uh, one of the other little interesting items is that the um, our current deployers use uh, uh, the smaller arm, or the SPINM, SPDM, so special purpose dexterous manipulator. Uh, it has a little bit limited capabilities as far as, as, far as the... Um, the spring force that we could use for the smaller satellites, which it works well for the small satellites, but for the bigger ones, they need a little bit more oomph, if you will, a little more velocity mm-hmm. uh, or a little more force to be able to, to deploy them. Uh, on the big, on the Bishop airlock, we'll be able to use the main arm of the the main Canada arm, and that has a lot more load carrying capability. As you can imagine, it was used to assemble the space station, so uh, it has a little bit more capability than the smaller arms. So this gets us also added capabilities to deploy these much larger um, satellites than we've ever been able to uh, deploy in the past. So that really adds some uh, additional capabilities. There's lots of little details in there that can trip you up. And uh, big thanks to uh, NASA, of course, to help us through all that process and uh, uh, work through all those capabilities. So we're counting on the ISS. We're counting on that Canadian arm a lot um, to be able to deploy these things. Uh, and again, working as a team to uh, make all that happen. Very cool. Now that now that's just one capability, right? This uh, deploying satellites, deploying larger satellites, more satellites. Uh, the other thing that you talked about was it, it has the ability to host payloads. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so uh, as we designed the airlock, we were focused originally, you know, five years ago, let's just work on a door, work on a door. Within about six months, we realized this door is going to have quite a bit of real estate, if you will. So as real estate on the outside, it was kind of a bare bones airlock at the, at the, at the beginning. And then we were looking at it and going, you know, we got a lot of space out here on the outside of the structure, as well as on the inside of the structure. Hey, let's make this thing more of a, not just a dumb doorway, or if you will, kind of more of a smart doorway or elaborate doorway uh, to be able to host payloads. So we added, but again, we kind of went to, as we mentioned before, our uh, friends and partner over at Oceaneering, started talking to them about having external payload mounts. So these are um, uh, robotically installed and removed uh, payload mounts that uh, experimenters can uh, uh, use on the outside of the airlock. Um, fortunately, the ISS is very busy, right? There's uh, lots of external payload mounts on the outside of ISS. These are for payloads that may look at the Earth, they may look at the stars, they may be materials exposures and uh, type experiments. And a lot of those payload sites were tied up and they were they were being used. Not a whole lot of vacancy at the uh, at the end for external payloads. So we said, why don't we just add some payload sites that can add capability Capabilities. So um, uh, we have these externally mounted mounts. Uh, they're all robotically controlled, so the experiments can attach to the outside of the airlock. Uh, and then also we then provided all the avionics to be able to provide them with power, uh, not only operational power, but keep alive heater power. And they also have provide them with communications via Ethernet uh, that can communicate back to the uh, space station, local area network, and then eventually back down to the ground. So we give them full payload command and control capability uh, and full payload or power capability. And uh, so these sites are then uh, for sale, if you will. So uh, 
the sights are out there and available for payloads to use with a variety of different pointing options and um, uh, again, and a way to get there, which is using the airlock to actually get them there as well. So uh, those are all on the, all on the outside, and uh, we also have similar capabilities for mounting payloads on the inside. So we have sites on the inside of the airlock that can provide the same thing. They don't have to be robotically installed like they are on the outside, but on the inside, the crew can install them, and we provide them with power and uh, the data capabilities just like we do on the outside. So uh, on the outside in summer, there's about there's six external payload sites, and then on the inside, there's up to uh, uh, four payload sites on the inside. And on the inside, there's a lot more flexibility because there can be a variety of different shapes and sizes, and nanoracks can uh, help the experimenters uh, define uh, what shape and size their experiment needs to be to fit within the airlock. So lots of capabilities to host those payloads. Nice. On the, on the inside, are these payloads... Um... Is that part of that section that's being uh, repressurized and, and depressurized for the for the operations? I guess the cycles of the operations. So those payloads will be uh, kind of in and out of vacuum. Yeah, so they can be. Uh, so that, that's a great great point about the airlock. So if you think about the operational uh, uh, frequency of the airlock, so we envision the airlock to be used probably five to ten times a year. Um, uh, uh, more the better for us, right? We're all excited about trying to do a little bit more work with payloads, but uh, we expect it somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, there's lots of other things going on at the space station, so we ha- so we understand there's limitations on when the arm is available, and there's busy vehicles coming and going, and so um, and crew time. And there's lots of things going on. So, so imagine five to five to ten times a year, and say each of those are maybe maybe two weeks in duration. So. Um, we don't go out on these sorties, if you will, when we're out away from Node 3 uh, for very long. We're there for a week or two weeks. So say we go five operations for two weeks at a time, that's 10 weeks. So uh, so figure about two months of the time we're off the station. Well, that leaves us another 10 months where we're still attached to the station. All right, so most of our time is actually when we're uh, attached to the station. So that's where we can use those internal payloads uh, to be able to use that time while we're actually still attached to the space station. So they can get a good, you know, a month, two months, even three months worth of operations in between those sorties to, to be able to run science on the inside, just like they do with other science that's on board racks and uh, internally mounted items. We can provide similar capabilities to the experiment racks that the ISS does, but now maybe a little bit bigger volume that they can kind of free fit into rather than have to squeeze into a rack. Or a little bit more of a free volume that they can design uh, to use. Got it. Okay, that makes more sense. So you're you're kind of tur- turning it over a little bit more. So that that makes a lot yeah. more sense. Yeah. Um, now we've we've used this term payload quite a bit. Uh, you know, anyone can send their payload to the outside. Um, wh- what exactly are these things? What are the types of um, payloads that? Uh, that Bishop can be hosting on the outside. What kinds of experiments? What kinds of hardware? What are the things we're going to be we're we're going to be putting out there? Right. So, uh, so a lot of the payloads on the outside would be you know cameras, for instance. Lots of folks looking at the Earth, evaluating change of the Earth, evaluating you know climate change to uh, geological changes to those kind of things. Um, lots of cameras, different types of sensors um, can be looking down at the Earth from the uh, Bishop airlock. 
but also have the ability to, you know, we're in out in the vacuum of space, so some experiments are looking at new materials. How do they work in the uh, vacuum of space uh, subjected to atomic oxygen and ultraviolet and radiation environments uh, that we can host those kind of payloads? Um, also, um, you know, if they're looking at the star, say a new star tracker or star sensor that they may, a company may be developing to put on future satellites or future NASA missions, you know, they want to test out their equipment. Uh, uh, they can test that out on the airlock uh, before they go fly for the, uh, for the actual mission. So we call them a lot of them are technology demonstration type payloads. So uh, they're, they're, they may have a working version on the ground, but they want to go fly to space, but they don't really want to put it um, uh, on a vehicle yet, or uh, maybe they, they're, they're working through their sales uh, thing, and they're trying to get their technology uh, readiness up a, a few levels. They can use the airlock to be able to do that. Um, and so, yeah, lots of different uh, capabilities. One of our, uh, in fact, one of our first customers is, is actually a commercial robot arm. Um, that will actually use the inside of the airlock to do a demonstration. They have this robot arm that's a really pretty cool arm. Um, it's been working on the ground, and they're going to take it to the microgravity orbit and uh, show that they can use it there as well and then, uh, then potentially take that to the commercial marketplace for that. So we're looking for customers just like that, too. And our customers can range from all types of different people from all over the world. Uh, we have a customer base literally worldwide. Uh, and as well as from different uh, industries. So whether it's government, for instance, NASA or the military, uh, to uh, universities, uh, to um, um, commercials. So we're, uh, we're open to anybody and everybody using the airlock. Our goal here is to make space available to folks and uh, give them the best opportunities that they can to uh, perform their experiments. Very cool. And you, and you did mention the, go the government as a customer. I know one of those things that we're uh, looking for is uh, one of the capabilities of, of Nanorex Bishop Airlock is um, this jettison capability. It's, it's not only for deploying satellites, but um, uh, I know NASA is looking to deploy trash. So is that something uh, Bishop is going to be doing, deploying trash? Yeah, you bet. In fact, it might be one of the very first things that the Nanorex uh, <laughs> Airlock will actually be doing. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk some trash, if you want to talk a little trash here. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, trash, you know, people don't really think about trash, but it's obviously a critical item. So we talk about being a, a world-class laboratory, and sometimes in your world-class laboratory, you got to keep your things squared away. Uh, so if you end up having a lot of trash around, you need to clean up your workspace so you can do the cool science. Um, uh, so let's talk about how does NASA deal with trash right now. So um, the cargo vehicles are coming and going from the space station, whether it's Cygnus or SpaceX or HTVs, those vehicles are coming and going. When they go, they are delivering lots of cool hardware, usually new stuff, new experiments, uh, food, clothing, those kind of things. Um, but what's not talked about is at the end of their missions, they are typically loaded up with trash. And uh, so they are then load up that trash in these vehicles and they come back down. Now, if you think about trash at your household, your trash truck shows up you know, once, twice a week, and you put it to the curb and away it goes and, uh, and you're happy. On the space station, it's not doesn't happen that very that, that as frequently as that. <laughs> These uh, cargo vehicles are coming every couple months, so two to three months. So imagine your house that your trash you have to hold your trash inside your house. You don't even get a garage. You have to hold your trash inside your living area of your house and tuck it away until that trash truck shows up every couple months. That can get you know a little rough on the crew, on the living and the working conditions of your national laboratory. Um, 
So what this Bishop Airlock can do now with this refrigerator-sized type payload jettison capability is that Nanorax is actively working on a trash deployer system. Um, uh, this isn't like your normal trash bag at your house. It's not the kitchen-sized trash bag. This is about a, a trash bag that's about a, as big as a refrigerator and hold about 600 pounds. So that's a big trash bag. Uh, but what it does give the astronauts and the crew capability is to be able to load this trash bag up whenever they need to. So as things build up, they're then able to load this trash in this trash bag, uh, then deploy the airlock out. They deploy the trash bag overboard. Um, that trash bag will uh, then uh, circle the Earth for about roughly a year. It depends on the uh, size of the bag and the mass of the bag, but it'll eventually uh, degrade in orbit and eventually burn up in the atmosphere, much like they do with the visiting vehicles. Um, uh, with their trash, they burn up in the vehicle, at least the orbital sickness does. And so they allow now the crew to be able to get rid of that trash on a little bit more frequent basis. Now, this becomes even more important right now as we're starting to see a lot of neat um, uh, new and more astronauts visiting the space station. We're talking about commercial crew going up there a lot more frequently. So we got a lot more astronauts. With a lot more astronauts comes a lot more trash. So then, you know we got to kind of take care of uh, take care of business. And so this capability will be able to uh, uh, help maintain or help deal with the, the trash situation on orbit. A very important capability, yeah. And having that that large size definitely helps. Now I know the other uh, one of the other things. Um, Bishop can do is it can retrieve uh, something called ORUs. Uh, some people call them spare parts. Uh, maybe other hardware that's hosted on the outside. Uh, what what is this capability? Retrieving ORUs. Okay, so ORUs are orbital replacement units. So there's lots of equipment on the outside of the space stations, from pumps to batteries to um, Oh, gosh, this is, uh, and experiments as well that are already outside. Um, and so some of that equipment's been out there for a while. You know, we talk about space stations been around for 20 years. So, so all this hardware is getting a little dated. Um, some of that hardware was designed to be um, uh, maintained and upgraded by the, the astronauts in spacewalking and suits and everything. But sometimes you have failures that they can't repair in their space in their space suits. Their gloves are just too big. They don't have the dexterity in their fingers. They don't have the capability for small parts to be able to do repairs on those orbital replacement units. So what happens is those units just end up there. They either have to be thrown overboard or uh, are just left in place and not working. Now what's going on with this airlock, we can retrieve quite a number of those typical um, of those sizes of equipment. So now, instead of just throwing it away or not being able to use it, maybe we can maybe we get the uh, NASA and the program to refurbish these things by bringing these parts from the outside of the space station back to the inside. So the way to work with the airlock is that you send the airlock out empty on its sortie. It would go and deploy off of node three. It would be empty. You would park the airlock. Uh, and then they could retrieve the ORU and put it in the airlock, and then they would bring it back to node three. And once we're back to node three, we repressurize, and the crew can go in and actually work on this ORU. Now they're working on it in shirt sleeves rather than their EVA suits. Now you've got capabilities to replace, like, circuit boards and camera lenses and uh, fuses and things that they never could um, be able to replace before and maybe be able to buy some more lifetime for the space station or do upgrades that they never thought were possible. You know, you think about computers and things that were around 20 years ago. Um, 
And uh, remember, some of these things were designed five and ten years even before that. So some of these things are getting pretty dated as far as technology. Now maybe we can give them some new life, if you will, um, by giving them some capabilities to upgrade them and and uh, and uh, get some new systems on board. So that's just another capability that the airlock brings to the space station that uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll let a lot of the smart people figure out how to use the airlock. Uh, our job is get the airlock there, get the capabilities there, and there's a lot of smart people looking at innovative ways uh, to use the airlock, and this is definitely potentially one of those. There you go. Now that's that's a lot of different capabilities. Uh, Brock, in the beginning, you talked about the uh, you know how to depressurize and repressurize it. The, basically, the function of of an airlock. Um, it is a coordinated effort, though. You know, there's there's a lot of players here. Uh, you, there, you talked about there's the Canada Arm too. So there's robotic operations. There's mission control. Um, yeah, I'm sure Nanorax has some communications folks or some some operations folks. Uh, so so how is that all working? Whenever it's time to actually use the airlock, you know, depressurized to to move over to retrieve an ORU, how are those operations working? Yeah, so we have a flight control team that's uh, that's located here in the Nanorax office. We have our own mission control center called the Bridge, uh, and we're in direct contact with the airlock. So we we monitor the airlock and its data and uh, do all the command and control for the airlock from this uh, control center here. Uh, we do that 24/7. So we monitor it. So we uh, and then in addition, we work through um, the payload control center in Huntsville. NASA's control center there, that's our primary point of contact. And we also work directly with the Mission Control Center here in Houston. So we work out uh, uh, the command and control of the airlock. Of course, there's a lot of effort that leads up into those payload operations. So we start about a year out and start to do all the integration and crew procedures and everything. Uh, but when we're ready to go, our team is talking directly with the NASA flight control team um, uh, for all those operations. And uh, it's a very closely coordinated uh, team approach to making that happen. Uh, so that's one of the neat things about the airlock is that it's uh, fully commercially owned and operated by Nanorack. So it's our responsibility to monitor it. It's our responsibility for the upkeep of it and uh, and upgrades. And so that will go on for the lifetime of the airlock while it's on board for the rest of the lifetime of the space station. And that's our responsibility to take care of her. And uh, but we work closely with NASA to make all those operations happen, and um, uh, yeah, we're there to uh, uh, provide you know just another piece to the big global village of the International Space Station. <laughs> now I'm I'm sort of thinking through the operations here um, related to some of the capabilities we talked about. Uh, I know from. You know, if an astronaut is working on a payload, that that seems kind of self-explanatory to me. You know, they they put it into the airlock. Now, you've talked about there's there's these areas on the outside of Nanorex Bishop Airlock uh, that can host payloads. I wonder if you want to put a payload on the outside, how how do you get it there? If you're putting it in through the inside, how does it move from the inside to the outside? How how does it actually get to that location? Okay, great. That's a, that's a great point. It's a little tricky, and uh, um, there are some great videos out there on whether the Nanorax website or YouTube actually has some great videos of how this actually happens. So we'll try to describe how it works here. Cool. Um, what we have to do is we do all these operations to move payloads all robotically. So we don't get the crew involved on the EBA. Those are um, 
sometimes very difficult to schedule and, and there's a lot of safety involved and there's a lot of integration that has to happen. So we like to do things robotically uh, if we can. So what we have to do is we have to actually have to go out. We take the airlock off. So we just talked about it. The crew goes into the airlock, installs the payload, closes the hatch, depressurizes, same as always. But instead of going out to a, a particular position or pointing area, we actually take the airlock and we park it on the outside of that space station. So uh, early on, on the uh, in the airlock design, we recognized that we were going to want to do this kind of capability. So we we um, uh, made an adapter, one of the uh, robotic arm grapple fixtures for the airlock. So we take the airlock off. We actually have two of these grapple fixtures that interface with the robot arm. Um, there's uh, an identical. Um, piece of the arm mounted onto the uh, what I call mobile base system. This is the cart that runs up and down the uh, uh, truss of the station. Uh, so this parking spot, so this becomes like a parking spot for the airlock. So we can take the airlock off of the Node 3 and we actually go park it onto this mobile base system. Hmm. They actually call it a huge long acronym, mobile base system payload orbital replacement unit adapter, so what we call the MBS POA. <laughs> so, you know, and in crazy terms, you know, it's all this engineering stuff going on, these crazy long acronyms and everything, but they all mean something. So we go to this location, and this is what this says. We park the airlock there, and so this device grabs onto the airlock and holds it firm. Now what we can do, we, we detach the robot arm from that grapple fixture uh, that we just maneuvered with, with the robot arm, and then the robot arm can then reach inside of the airlock, retrieve this experiment, and then actually maneuver it out to its where it's going to reside, where its home is going to be, and install it, whether that's on the outside of the uh, airlock itself or on one of the other multiple experiment sites on the outside of the ISS, ORU locations, any of those kind of things. And then once that uh, payload is installed out there, um, then the robot arm can come back and grab airlock again and then return it to node three back to its home again. So all this does a very carefully choreographed uh, robotic arm dance, if you will, of all these operations. <laughs> a lot of great work was done by the robotics team at NASA uh, and our design engineers to really make all that stuff work out and avoid uh, uh, collisions and clashes and, and uh, make all those capabilities where we give as much flexibility to the payloads uh, looking forward down the road. So pretty cool uh, stuff. I can't wait to see some of that stuff go on in, in real time on the station. It's going to be some really neat looking uh, videos coming out of all those, uh, uh, all that dance of the robotics. Yeah, parking it on the mobile base system. There's a, yeah, like you said, there's like a latching end effector. That's a, that's like the hand of the robot, robotic arm. It's exactly, on there, so yeah. yeah, just latches onto that same same end effector, and then yeah, you you park that, and you're able to go maneuver the uh, robot arm inside and outside. That is so cool. And then on top of that, you got the deployment uh, capabilities. You know, Brock, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to this. Um, and you know, you you've talked about that Nanorax invested its own uh, time and effort and money into this to to make this a capability. This is all part of building um, for, that NASA is helping to enable um, a low Earth orbit economy. Uh, having commercial businesses like this operate real time in uh, in in space because there's value to that. So what are for 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 you Brock for for NanoRacks, what are the what are NanoRacks goals for business in low earth orbit? You talked about a large customer base, but what what are your overall goals here? Okay, so yeah, so uh uh, Airlock represents kind of what we call the next generation of Nanorax payload facilities. So we already have some 
uh, commercial payload facilities inside the ISS, on the outside of ISS. Uh, this is kind of upsizes all those kind of capabilities. So as we grow that business and continue to get more capabilities on ISS, you know, what we're looking to try to do is just get people to space. Let's get people excited about using space. Let's make uh, uh, low Earth orbit really just another place to do business. You know, just like you do business or build up capabilities here on the ground, let's just give people the ability to uh, uh, do science on orbit. So our job is to kind of provide capabilities where those scientists can really be creative uh, and give them kind of a play space, if you will, to be able to do some cool science. Uh, we're not the ones that actually do the science. Uh, we're the ones that provide capabilities. So we're really looking for those young uh, um, scientists out there to be innovative and, and think about ways of uh, using space like we've never used them before. We'll provide them some workspace and capabilities to, to, to do that, and we really look forward to uh, using that. Now, what's the next step? So this, this airlock is, is not the end goal uh, of, uh, of NANORAX by any means. Um, our next goal is really kind of working towards commercial space stations. So let's continue this commercial effort. Um, uh, and uh, so the, the airlock kind of gives us some uh, help, really help grow our engineering capability here at Nanorax. Uh, now we're doing safety critical structures. We're doing high power electronics. We're doing lots of command and control with um, uh, multiple different payloads. We got uh, a lot of robotics activity. So we're, we've, we've really grown the team in those areas. Uh, but when you think about what, what's it take to do a, a full commercial space station, there's lots more things that we have to learn. But we got a lot of those pieces in place now with the airlock, and now we can grow forward and uh, hopefully continue to find that com commercial customer date, uh, customer list, and uh, we'll make them really looking forward. You know, get those get, get them uh, motivated and excited about doing work in space, and then continue to provide them with even more capabilities down the road. So, so. Uh, yeah, so Nanorax is looking forward to uh, continuing to grow this kind of uh, effort. Very cool. A lot of ambitions for, for the commercial uh, side of this. I wonder, uh, how, is, how is NASA playing a role to help Nanorax to, to basically uh, foster uh, some of this business? What's, what's NASA's role in all of this? Okay, so... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be remiss to not say, you know, we talked a lot about partners earlier, you know, probably in my mind the most critical, most important partner of this entire effort has been NASA. Um, like I said, we, when we started the idea five years ago, you know, there's a lot of people, there's people that doubt and there are a lot of people concerned about what we were doing. Uh, but what it took was NASA to embrace uh, the commercialization. Um, it was willing to listen to Nanorax and, and listen to our ideas. And sometimes they might be a little bit crazy ideas, right? So we're pushing the envelope a little bit here, but NASA was willing to listen to us and as a commercial company, we say, we can do this. We can make this thing happen, and uh, and folks will continue to come. So, so one, is just embracing the commercial effort. They're willing to uh, go in and partner with us under a Space Act agreement, uh, non-funded. Uh, just Nanorax will build an airlock. NASA is going to support it by providing a uh, uh, birthing site on board the ISS and uh, help us out with the launch. and and uh, those kind of things. And I mean, meanwhile, Nanorax needs to uh, raise the money and build an airlock to make that happen. So NASA really embraced us. They also had the faith that we could do it. You know, there's a little company, a little Nanorax, five, six years ago. Um, we didn't have capabilities at the time to build safety critical structures and, and, uh, and do some of these other things that we talked about. But, uh, uh, but they had the faith that, that we could make that, uh, make that happen. And so they've been a huge help 
all along the way, fully embracing the commercial marketplace. And we just hope that we're just one of many commercials. So we're kind of at the front end of this thing. We're the tip of the spear of a lot of these uh, commercial efforts. We're going to be the first commercial mod, permanent module on the station, but there are many more coming. So uh, we really looking forward to some of these other uh, companies uh, uh, following in behind us and providing a, a low-Earth orbit um you know, capabilities that, uh, that uh, the world has never seen before. So, again, NASA's embracing that uh, uh, atmosphere. Uh, and just like we talked about, you know, one of the big things for NASA is they just want to be another – just want to be one of many customers in low-Earth orbit. And uh, I think you're seeing that right here, even with the Nanorax airlock. So there – Nanorax is uh, – or NASA is one of our customers. Um, and uh, uh, we also have ESA as a customer, and we mentioned a commercial robotic arm, GITAI, uh, as well. So we got, we got, uh, already have government and commercial customers already signed up, ready to use this airlock. And, uh, it's all because NASA had the, um, uh, faith and the confidence and, uh, the willingness to embrace commercial space some five, six years ago. That's, that's very cool. There's, yeah, there's a lot of potential here, a lot of growth opportunities for other businesses, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, you said a worldwide really customer base. It's really, it's really anyone that can come through Nanorex to, to do this and, uh, and it's enabled by NASA. I know you mentioned NASA, ESA, you mentioned the robotic customer. I know NASA and ESA, um, European Space Agency in particular, they've already purchased, uh, uh, pre-purchased airlock cycles. Uh, I suppose that's your business model uh, in a sense, right? Perhaps airlock cycles, perhaps hosting capabilities. But but what does that mean, the, the pre-purchase of airlock cycles? Yeah, so NASA and ESA both see the value of being able to maneuver large things uh, from the inside of the space station to outside or from outside back in again. So they're willing to step up to the plate early on while we're still designing the airlock uh, and they had to kind of, again, another great show of confidence in uh, Nanorax to be able to get to this point that we are today, where they they wanted to buy in early, if you will. So they saw the capability, really want to be part of that. Uh, that really helped us out with uh, uh, some of the um, uh, milestones that we had to work through. So having early customers really showed uh, one the confidence, uh, in particular to our investors, uh, and then also helped us out with the uh, – uh, uh, business models and everything that we are putting together. So their willingness to uh, get on board early uh, really helped uh, kind of solidify uh, the airlock and get us to this point where we could finish off uh, building the, the hardware and everything. So so the way it works is, like you said, you know, we, we talk about, you know, buying cycles, or uh, I call it a sortie. So it's like an aircraft sortie it goes out away from its base and then does its mission and then comes back again. That's kind of us the airlock leaving node three going out and doing some work and then coming back again so that's one way of doing it and just like you talked about you mentioned uh hosting payloads so those payloads either whether it's on the outside or the inside it's almost just kind of like uh rentals if you will so so you can rent a space rent a location on the outside of the airlock uh for a certain duration and um and uh that's our business model so then we get uh um uh, revenue and return on investment based on uh, those people either using the airlock as a sortie or by the posted payload uh, capabilities that we have on board. How about that? Brock, you've mentioned so many different capabilities here, so many opportunities. Um, you know, we started off this conversation with talking about the excitement of launch. I wonder, um, you know, you worked so hard on this. You talked about this, this whole effort being five years and then finally seeing it on orbit. There's a lot of unique capabilities to look forward to. But I wonder, um, from your perspective as the program manager, what are some of those next things that you are just really looking forward to to seeing and, and testing out, seeing uh, the Bishop Airlock in action 
uh, once it gets uh, gets operational here. Yeah, so one of the cool things, that, uh, one of the frequent things that we have to try to keep reminding ourselves as engineers, we want to design to a certain I call point solution. So here's, hey, we want to deploy satellites out of the airlock. Okay, so let's design around that. Um, um, we're constantly talking to ourselves about, hey, let's keep our blinders off. Let's not get focused on the airlock just deploying satellites or just hosting a payload. So what's really pretty cool is what I'm looking forward to is, is, is working with some of these scientists and seeing what people come up with. I mean, I'm always, you know, just flabbergasted by some of the ideas that uh, this can range from, uh, like I said, you know, big government organizations with uh, the big science experiment all the way down to, you know, kids in schools coming up with ideas and go, you know, hey, I never thought about using it like that. You know, that's the kind of cool stuff that really kind of gets me jived and, and really excited about this thing um, are the things that we've never thought about before. You know, we, we try to think about all these different ideas. We've talked a lot about those different capabilities. But I'm hoping that there's a lot of people out there that really push us along and go, you know, hey, we want to use this airlock to do this. And I go, man, I've never even thought about that before. Let's see what we can do. And so that, that gets pretty exciting when people come up with innovative and creative ways to use your equipment and then, uh, and then do some really cool science that hopefully, you know, will, will improve people's lives down here on Earth and, or uh, improve the ability for us to, uh, to explore the, 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 um, our galaxy and beyond. And so that's why I'm looking forward for this uh, uh, facility is just working with those scientists and working with those experimenters to uh, let's see what cool stuff we can do with her. What a fantastic way to end this conversation, Brock. So many things to look forward to. Really a, a very fascinating conversation. Brock, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. I really appreciate you coming on today. You bet. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really fascinating conversation we had with Brock Howe today. I hope you learned something about commercial uh, space flight and all the activities that's happening aboard the International Space Station. You can check out uh, us at Houston. We have a podcast at nasa.gov slash podcast. We have a few other shows that are there that you can tune into. Uh, if you want to talk to us, you can uh, reach us at the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. And make sure to mention it's for us at Houston We Have a Podcast. This episode was recorded on December 9th, 2020. Thanks again to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norma Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, and Abby Dickies. Thanks again to Brock Howe for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.